We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Podcasters struggling for content can thank Arsenal's commitment to banter for always making it interesting. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody was expecting this to be a classic, just a dull, half-empty Emirates stadium witnessing a soporific 1-0, run-of-the-mill victory over relegation-threatened Southampton. But that's just underestimating Arsenal's commitment to banter. And we really have to thank them because I think it has left us with a lot of meat on this bone, which we will bite off the bone and gnaw at the bone. The bone will be gnawed upon by Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello, there. And Scott, you can find him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Hello. The new dream team. This is it. This is the Europa League team right here. This is this <laughs> is the, the team that's actually carrying us through. We have, we have Clive, who has decided to go on holiday midseason. Uh, he didn't run it by us. He just did it. And then Paul, who seems to feel that Monday in the middle of the day, you should be working. <laughs> I don't know where he got that idea. Anyway, um, yeah, I thought it was actually a really interesting game from a talking point standpoint. Uh, some of it hilariously so. Some of it more excitingly so. And Tim, the manager, I think has finally shown his cards, tipped his hand, shown us that mm-hmm. the Europa League is the priority, and then he is willing to lean into that. So... In terms of the lineup, was there anything remarkable about it that stood out to you or just run-of-the-mill rotation? I mean, is, is the big news Nelson getting the start? Yeah, I, d- I didn't expect that. I expected a fair measure of rotation. I expected uh, you know, the likes of Welbeck and probably Awobi to come in. I didn't expect to see Ram. I, I think he's made it quite clear that Ramsey and Koscielny now are 
not long for our Premier League campaign and they, they won't be risked, which I think makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, Nelson was the slight surprise um, to me. I, I think maybe I expected to see Wilshire in there, um, but but a pleasant surprise nonetheless. Because um, if we think he's got any sort of future, then you know when better to blood him than now. Um, I also think he's the sort of profile of player that we're kind of missing, even if he doesn't quite have the experience yet. I, I think. Um, you know, particularly with Wenger saying he's not going to buy any forwards in the summer, that uh, that really opens a door for Reese Nelson for me because we really don't have anyone else like that in the squad, um, and that that presents him with a bit of an opportunity. Um, so yeah, I was I was quite pleasantly surprised to see that. I, I guess I was um, I, I didn't quite think he'd make eleven changes, for example, but you know may, maybe I thought that Xhaka wouldn't play and. I, I still really think that Bellerin has played far too many minutes and he went off injured, he went down the tunnel. Hopefully, it didn't look too serious. It looked like he needed some persuading to go down the tunnel, so hopefully that's a good sign. But, mm-hmm. you know, particularly when we've got, we're playing a back four again, we've got Callum Chambers there, who I think is playing quite well at the moment. And, you know, right back is not his natural position, nor one I think he has a long-term future in. But I, I think for now, at least, you know, Fielding a bit right back for a, for a game like this, I, I think would have been fine, and we should have protected Bellerin. And you know, yeah. I, I really, really hope that 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 knock doesn't rule him out um, of Thursday. It doesn't so there's not been any suggestion that it will, but you know, it shows the fact that you went off with a bit of a knock. It, it it's taking its toll. I I really think we need to make it a bit of a priority to protect him yeah. um, a bit better physically. Yeah, I mean, I I just don't understand it. it it's it's clearly a situation where we don't have a backup for him. So I, I, I get that there aren't a lot of options. But, I mean, Reese Nelson did play right wing back in the Europa League. You could have given him a start there, potentially. I know that yeah. fullback is not wing back. There's a lot more defensive duties uh, bestowed upon a fullback. But that would have been an option. Certainly Callum Chambers, who you named. But then that means drafting and holding. And suddenly you have a, yeah. a kind of rickety defense. And we will get to the ricketyest Rick of all, Shkodran uh, uh, the Rick Mustafi. We'll come to that in a moment. But Scott, I mean, I, I think as exciting as it is to blood a youngster and give Nelson his first start in the Premier League, the real story of this game, I think, has to be Danny Welbeck and Alex Iwobi both getting a start, both knowing that at a minimum there is one Europa League spot up for grabs with with uh, Mkhitaryan's injury and potentially a second with Jack Wilshire being, how shall I put this delicately, bad at football. So, I mean, for you, is is that really the takeaway, these two starting and both really playing well and potentially securing a chance to show what they can do again in Moscow and ultimately go on to be the replacements for Wilshire and Mkhitaryan in, in a at least theoretical semifinal for Arsenal? Yeah, I mean, both of this was, you know, seemed like get me on the plane type of performances. So I, I was actually very impressed with both of them. Um, you know, Danny Welbeck, we like to, to make fun of him, but, you know, his first goal was absolutely amazing. You know, it was a perfect clean contact. Yeah, he missed uh, an open net, but then he had a, a really nice header for his second goal. Um, and Alex Awobi really slotted in well into the, that Mesa Ozil role and was really having all the offense go through him doing really well finding the spots and, you know, combinations. Um, the pass that he made uh, to Danny Welbeck before the goal was absolutely great, too. So, I mean, I was very impressed with both of them. Um, and I think both of them could actually yeah, get a start on Thursday, and I would be happy. Um, I was, you know, a big wondering to see Welbeck, um, you know, last Thursday. 
and he didn't get in. But yeah, I think he's really solidified his spot. I think he does add some some good things. And you know, if he's actually being able to kick the ball, that's even better. Yeah, well, and I, I mean, end product and directness and running to replace Mkhitaryan's, and it will be giving you more of what Jack notionally should provide, which is security on the ball, close control, uh, comfortable, confident. Uh, reliable distribution, the things that Wilshire, you might identify with him, but really have, have been absent from his game of late. And, you know, I, I know there were some people frustrated when Aubameyang got taken off because it's like, hell, he can only play in the Premier League. What are you resting him for? But I'm going to do the unthinkable and defend Arsene Wenger here for a moment. I think it may have been in his mind to say, let me get Lacazette on with Welbeck and Awobi because they're going to be playing together in the Europa League. And sure, the risk of injury is something you have to take into account, but there's something to be said for getting them 20 minutes together as a, as a tandem. I mean, Scott, do you think that might have been his thinking behind doing that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, and Lacazette's still coming back from injury, so getting him some more game time and getting, you know, more match fitness under his belt is, you know, never a bad idea, especially, um, you know, late in the game where, you know, you're going to get tired defense and just give him some more confidence. And I thought he, you know, linked up well with everybody and, um, you know, it's it's I have no problem with that. And I think it's definitely a move with the eye towards Thursday, seeing as, the, you know, the Premier League, there isn't really anything left to play for there. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. So, Tim, I mean, we know what Danny Welbeck did because there are things that kind of fill up the stat sheet, as you might say, uh, on this side of the pond. You know, he got the goals. He got an assist. I thought the assist was really well executed. The goals are well mm. done. Obviously, he missed <clears throat> the sitter. But overall, I think you have to be happy with the perform. But Alex Iwobi had... A really, really good game, and yeah. not just a good game, but a good game that produced end product. Three key passes, two assists, mm. right? A shot on target. The things that we criticize him for not being good at, final ball, a penalty area, or final third contribution he provided. Was this one of the more encouraging Alex Awobi performances at a time when we needed it most? And by me yeah, needed it most, let me just clarify. I don't mean the Southampton yeah. game. I mean with yeah, him possibly yeah, yeah. playing key minutes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it was um, almost certainly his best performance of the season. Um, certainly in terms of in terms of end product um, as well, which, like you say, he's kind of lacked this season. And uh, I, I just thought you did really tell smart. us to be patient with that, Tim, and that really goes yeah. against brand for me. But you may have been on to something <laughs> there. Yeah. Well, you know, let's let's see. Let's hope so. There's, you know, it it, it could just be a one off. Um, we'll we'll see in the fullness of time, as they say. But uh, yeah, I mean, he kind of stepped into Ozil's role, didn't he? He played as a number ten. He was, um, you know, he was kind of picking up those pockets of space, and really, you, uh, we've expressed before you know concern about him playing that number 10 spot you know that that spot where you've got the real responsibility I think one thing I will say there are a couple of things going on first of all I I think he's always had a fairly decent relationship with Welbeck um, which kind of helped but I also think that uh, and Adrian Clark did a a great piece on this in the breakdown that you know Welbeck and Aubameyang basically played as a front two and um, if you're playing in that kind of number 10 role Having two players to aim at instead of one, um, you know, it, it gives you more options, literally. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's probably slightly easier to shine when you've got two, uh, you know, fairly pacey mobile forwards um, kind of running ahead of you. So, yeah, it was, it was hugely encouraging. And he was just, you could, you could see the, the confidence in him. You could see him bumping the ball off. You know, you could see him when he took that shot in early in the second half from 25 yards or so. And, you you know, you just think, wow, he, has, he hasn't been taking on shots like that. And not with that kind of, you know, again, almost that 
that kind of nonchalance with the outside of the foot you know he hit it like he really meant it and really believed it might it might produce something and uh that's something we've not seen from him and, and maybe it's just because he's had a little bit of time out of the team he's been an unused sub for the last few games maybe he's seen you know Mkhitaryan what what he's been producing sometimes it's quite good for a player who's not informed to just sit down and watch someone else do it and do it well as Mkhitaryan's been doing so maybe that's you know giving him some 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 kind of headspace there's a there's a, a phrase I really really like um that I heard in a, a presentation about um introverts actually um and uh, the the phrase the woman used was no wilderness no revelation because the whole thing is about going away and thinking on your own and then taking what you've learned back to a group and and I feel like that's that's you know, that might play into this a bit. You know, he's had a bit of wilderness. He's had a little bit of time to think, a little bit of time to watch. Um, and yeah, he, he must he must have known before the game. He must have thought, right, Mkhitaryan's out for at least a few weeks. This is my chance. This is like a real chance for me to state my claim. I'm out of favour. Um, so yeah, there's, I, th- I think there are some, some things going on with his performance, some tangible, some intangible, but for me, certainly his best performance of the season, maybe unless you discount the really good kind of defensive discipline performance at Stamford Bridge back in September. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's really encouraging because we are, I mean, almost certainly going to need him. I think it will be both him and Welbeck, and we'll, we'll debate that coming up. Uh, quick follow-up question, though, for you, Tim. What, what was it saying? No wilderness, no revelation? Yes. Do you want to just be honest and admit that you actually saw that in a galactic brain meme? And that it wasn't actually from any book you read. No, 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 it was it was actually in a TED talk. Um, <laughs> okay, um, but it, but a really good one. A really okay, good one. okay, you're off the hook. Not from a galactic brain <laughs> meme. Okay, um, or the the Duck Dynasty guys or whoever they are. The, what, what's the new <laughs> no. meme going around with them? There, there's some. Uh, yeah, yeah. American American Chopper. American Chopper meme. That's it. I do actually rather enjoy that one. Um, Scott, before we come on to the disaster that is Shodan Mustafi, let's just talk briefly about. Shaq and El Nenny, 125 passes for El Nenny, uh, 113 passes for Granite Shaq, or other way around. But El Nenny completing 95% of them. Uh, Shaq a little lower because he played seven crosses and only one were accurate, and that, that probably had an influence. But in, in the mid-'80s, I mean, there's a lot of ball security in there. I don't know that they were you know, as dynamic as they could be. Uh, certainly El Nenny is not associated with that. Um, and we could talk about him getting sent off later and Jack's role in that, certainly. But with respect to just the way that pairing works, we talked about maybe using uh, Iwobi and Welbeck together to replace Wilshire and Mkhitaryan, but with Elneny showing that he could be a high-volume, safe, secure passer partnered with Shaka, and given that we have a three-goal lead in the tie, would you be tempted to let them stay together and just push Ramsey forward and only make... Uh, one change for Mkhitaryan, whether it's Welbeck or Awobi, and and have that greater ball security in central midfield? Yeah, I mean, it's not a a bad idea. And um, I really liked uh, a couple seasons ago with Ramsey on the right. I thought that really freed him up to to do good things and to kind of cause havoc. Um, One of the things is, you know, they they, both Xhaka and Elneny led the team in passes, and they also passed to each other the most often. I think I have it here. Elneny to Xhaka 36 times, and Xhaka to Elneny 27 times. So you could definitely say, yeah, it was a lot of sideways passing. So it wasn't, you know, necessarily progressing the ball forward or those killer balls. But 
Um, it was something that, you know, Arsenal kind of just needed to get control of the game because it was definitely a bit of a, a crazy open one at times. So sometimes just getting that yeah. ball security was a little bit what was needed. Well, and when you have um, a three-goal lead in a tie, which is coming up on Thursday, I mean, you could argue that, that the same might be required. Exactly, yeah. This isn't necessarily a, a go-out-and-attack, you know, with a crazy head-on-fire kind of a thing where, you know, Arsenal need to go gung-ho. Well, and Ramsey so running up a- the pitch, leaving Shaq exposed. I mean, if you push him forward and you leave those two together, you at least have that, that security in the middle of the pitch. Yeah, and it's definitely not going to be a, a welcoming environment in Moscow. I, I can imagine that that's going to be a, a difficult place to go play. So that may not be a, a bad idea to, you know, have, you know, and then Ramsey can also tuck in from the right and, you know, give even more solidity in the middle of the field, which might not be a bad thing with a three-goal lead. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think that what we need in this leg Thursday is very different from what we may need in a semifinal. And I don't think there's anything wrong with the manager going horses for courses, given that his sort of preferred first 11 won't be available. Just really quickly, the Mkhitaryan news. I mean, what's your take on it, Scott? Do you, I mean, do you get the sense that the manager may be left open the possibility that he could be back for a semifinal? I mean, at least it seems like there's that glimmer of hope. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really tough because nobody's coming out saying it's going to be this amount of time. It's, you know, he could make it back. It's it's all, you know, very much. I think it'll depend on who we play and what the situation is. And, you know, maybe he'll do a, a you know, Diego Costa thing and go eat some horse placenta and try to come back soon. And we'll see, you know, if Arsenal really need him, it might be that kind of a case. Or if Arsenal are in a good spot, maybe they, they rest him and don't push him back. Uh, it's yeah. I mean, I guess it's better that it's not season ending like it was feared. So we'll see. We're calling PEDs horse placenta now. Cool. Good stuff. <laughs> um, so so Tim, let's come on to it because I I think it is really the thrust of the conversation here, and that is the train wreck, the fiery train wreck, the fiery earthquake, <laughs> disaster ridden train wreck mess of a human being who plays central defense for Arsenal named Shodron <laughs> Mustafi. And I'm sorry if I've gone too easy on him here. So I'll ask you a simple multiple-choice question, and then you can build off it from there. Shodran Mustafi, bad central defender or the worst central defender? <laughs> neither, neither. He's, he's so um, bad, Tim. He's so he's, bad. He, what he is is he's certainly capable of being absolutely terrible, but what he is is wildly inconsistent. He, he, he rarely gives you a 7 out of 10. He's either kind of 9 out of 10 or 2 out of 10. And, and yeah, Isn't that exactly a... what you can't have from a central defender, right? Like, like, I would rather have a central defender who is a, a 7 out of 10 constantly, never a 9 but never a 2, right? Because at least then you can, you can survive. But when a central defender turns in a 2 out of 10, you're usually saying it because they've conceded a couple ridiculous goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely that that side of it. I, he reminds me of David Luiz. Um, Interesting. To be honest, yeah. In that, That's an easy, easy you know, analogy. Yeah. yeah, he he can put in those nine out of tens and make you think, "Wow, this this is a real defender here." And then the next game, you look at him and you think, "This this isn't a footballer, is it?" Um, it it is it is really weird. And and to be honest, um, I, I I tend to think it's it's very uh, it, it's very tempting and we all do it when we see a player that's a bit inconsistent and we project you know it's like oh is it the coaching what would he be like with a better coach or blah 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 and like David like we've seen in David Luiz's career being wildly inconsistent is just who he is it's what he is um, a bit like Abu Dhabi you know he was another one who was like that he was either nine out of ten or he was two out of ten he was never 
he was never seven out of six or seven. But but can I and make an alternate? Some just, players are just like that. Sorry, Tim. I, I know it's annoying when I do this, mm. but I, I just want to propose sort of an alternate theory. With David Luiz, I'd almost argue I can't remember seeing him ever be consistently good in a back four, but I've seen him be really mm. good as the cent- central center back in a back three where he can yeah. use his range and his passing, but doesn't always have to be positionally rock solid or rock solid in the one-on-one challenges. Yeah, yeah. And like, like, so that to me is that he's a system player, a player that can play in one system and not the other. And if you make the analogy with Mustafi, which I think is apt, could it be argued that Mustafi is equally ill-suited to being one of a two in central defense? Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. I, I, I see the kind of almost irresolvable quandary of this squad that um, all our centre-backs need to play in a three <laughs> and our mid- all our midfielders need to play in a three. Um, and, and we probably need our strikers in a two as well. So... Um, you know, uh, make of that what you will. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because Koscielny is, you know, just a, a bit too old now to do that kind of almost being two centre-backs at once. You know, Mon- Monreal's very, very tidy, you know, in his in his own area, his own part of the pitch, but you can't really expect him to do that. I think the centre-backs, all of them, are just tailor-made for a three. Um, nearly every centre-back we have, actually, I, I think that about... Um, and to be honest, like probably most centre halves are, are more comfortable playing in a three. It makes sense, right? The more, you know, the less space you have to cover, the you know, the better you can do your job. But I, I really think it with Arsenal, and I, I think the staff is really kind of almost made for that central pin in the in the way that David Luiz is. Um, it doesn't make him any less rash um, or any less. But he's know, got cover. Inconsistent, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you're you're kind of. Yeah, exactly. He's got a bit of cover. You're helping to cover those kind of those brain parts um, a little bit. So, yeah, I, I, I just some get, when he's on it, he's fine in a back four, but but quite often he isn't, and he's a bit of a disaster area. What did and, you think uh, of this I, I game think, specifically? I mean, I mean, how do you defend yeah. like the first goal? And I, I don't know if you saw. There's a video I put in our WhatsApp, and I put it on Twitter of a, a situation yeah. where he he falls asleep, and then he overruns, and then he hangs a leg, and then he pulls it back, and they wind up getting a shot on goal. I mean, he just seems switched off too often for me for one of two yeah. central defenders. So yeah, yeah. So with, with the first goal, to, to be absolutely honest. In the stadium at the time, I thought it was Czech's fault. I, I immediately, I, I, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it was my angle. Maybe it reveals some kind of bias, um, you know, against Petr Czech or whatever. But as soon as the cross came in, I just went keeper. And um, and I, I really, really thought it should have been Czech's fault. I, I think any ball that dribbles into your six-yard area like that, because basically what's going to happen if Mustafi gets there, he's just going to hook it out for a throw-in or a corner. Whereas Czech is able to fall on it and catch it and retain it for the team, um, I have to say, having seen the replay, I'm not I'm not as stringent in that position as I was, and I can I can understand why Czech thought that Mustafi would put his foot through it and clear it. But I, I think there is still a slight bit of culpability on on Czech. And the, the other thing I didn't quite understand about Czech, if you're not braced for the cross, then why aren't you braced for the shot either? Um, and oh, I suppose the guess—I guess the answer to that is because he thought Mustafi was going to clear yeah, it. But I—I yeah. I, maybe Mustafi had, and this this isn't a compliment for Mustafi, by the way, um, because I'm not a Premier League central defender. But but maybe Mustafi thought, oh, okay, that ball is dribbling like, and it wasn't a great cross. It was like that is dribbling into the six-yard box. Um, I'm facing 
you know, I'm facing away from goal. What am I going to do with this? I'm going to hack it out for a corner, probably. What can um, my goalkeeper with his gloves on and his ability to handle the ball going to do with it? He's going to fall on it. But um, unless <clears throat> if, if he didn't get a shout, which we can presume he didn't, then, yeah, he absolutely shouldn't have left it. And it's uh, it's, it's a quite ridiculous error. And you're right, you, you highlighted one just before that as well where you know lord knows what he's doing um just looks like his feet aren't really talking to each other and um yeah and and even on the second goal i'm i'm he not winds up quite in the goal. sure like, what he's doing I, where's, yeah. he, where's he going he just sucks himself into the goal yeah yeah and not even in a position like when bellerin you know clears one off the line earlier he he takes up a you know he he reads where the game is going he takes up a good position on the line, but you're right, Mustafi wasn't even. It wasn't even like like Ashley Cole was really good at doing this, getting on the goal line and anticipating where the ball would be. But it didn't look like that at all. It just looked like he, yeah. Again, to kind of reiterate the David Luiz um, thing. Do you remember when Gary Neville said it looks like he's being controlled by a ten-year-old playing the PlayStation? <laughs> yeah. And um, with with Mustafi, it didn't quite look like that. It looked more like a glitch in the game, you know. Yeah, it's just like yeah. I, I can just imagine you drop the control going, going hang on yeah. I, hit, I hit triangle why do, why didn't why didn't he like why did what happened yeah exactly. I, I was gonna say that it's almost like you, you you went to push pause and then you didn't and you're like wait yeah. I, I I hit pause yeah why is this still going I look I mean obviously I'm going a little over the top with the criticism of I, I admit but he does drive me crazy and I think the reason he drives me crazy is Tim the things he's bad at are things that are frustrating because I don't think he's bad physically. I think he has all the physical traits. I actually think he's quite good in the air, better than we give him credit for in the air. Um, I think that he is quick enough. I think that he uh, is a good passer. He's good on the ball. I don't know that he's quite as good as Murdisacker was, who was criminally underrated by our our fans, I think, but I think he's good on the ball. He has all of these physical attributes that are really pretty decent, but where he is terrible is mentally. He he doesn't trust himself to ride to to you know ride a challenge to run with a player. So he's always diving in. And I think where his nine out of ten games come, Tim, is where the risks he take come come off. You know what I mean? He takes a lot of risks diving in. He takes a lot of risks going in early, kind of like Vermaelen did. And so you can have nine yeah. out of ten games because you can have a game where all those risks, all those front-footed risks, come off, and it's really eye-catching and it looks like really aggressive defending. But it's a, it's a cheat. It's a cheat because you don't you don't back yourself to, to win the duel. And so he doesn't he's not a stand up tackler. The thing I loved about Murdisacker is he never went to ground to tackle. I mean almost never did. Um, I just think that Mustafi switches off, he doesn't read the game well, he doesn't hold his line well, he doesn't he doesn't tackle standing up and, and those are things that are mental whereas physically he has all the traits and I, so it drives me nuts just to see a player like that you know I, I, I think the players that really get under my skin like an Oxlade Chamberlain Oxlade Chamberlain was a player who I just felt at times looked brain dead on the pitch despite all of his physical attributes uh, and that that is really frustrating like Monreal would be the opposite I don't think of Monreal as being a physically gifted player but he's just he just seems to read the game really well and understand space, and yeah. he, he executes. I, that's a, that's a player that I can really get behind. Does that does that make sense? The way I've articulated. Yeah, him? absolutely. With, with Monreal, it's kind of muscle memory. Um, you know, it's it's just like he he does the same things every week, um, and more often than not, they work. <laughs> Whereas Mustafi seems to approach every game like he's on a different drug. Um, <laughs> to be honest, it's like, oh, Mustafi has. has 
has broken out the cocaine today that this could be interesting and oh no today's a psychedelics day uh, um, it's just it's just baffling I, d- I don't know what his mental state you're starting is to make before. a worrying amount of drug references on this podcast Tim. And I, you know i mean like bravo for your your life experience uh scott i mean do, do you want to weigh in here i mean do you feel that i am being overly harsh on mustafi and specifically as it relates to this game was this another one of those performances that makes you scratch your head and say what did we spend 35 million on yeah, I mean, it's I can I can see certain flashes of why he you know fetched that price tag because you know he he does have good games, but like you were saying, it's it's very much so inconsistent and you never know exactly which way you're, he's going to go. And there's just too often where it's just it, it almost like his mentality is that he gets intimidated. I don't know if the right word necessarily, and you know, that's a great thing to, to have happen to you when you're in a podcast where saying words is important. But Yeah, it happens certain- to me all the time, man. Just use a word that's wrong in that place and then just say it with confidence and people will assume it's what you meant. So, yeah, there's just too often where he just seems to not do the thing that he's supposed to do, or he's in, uh, afraid to almost make the make the duel. So, you know, he'll, he'll dive in instead of going one-on-one with a guy or he'll kind of duck out of a header or look for a foul to get to bail himself out. And it just, that happens way too often. Or, you know, in this one where, you know, expect your keeper to go get the ball instead of, you know, at least following through until you hear that shout. It, it's just, yeah, frustrating to, to see those kinds of things because he can do all of the things that you want a defender to do. But then there's just these brain dead moments where it's like, Oh, I forgot I am the defender and I need to be doing that. It's, yeah. yeah. It's frustrating and but yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly don't know what you know, I, I don't trust any of our other center backs, I guess, to really replace him right now. I mean, Chambers has looked okay, but is he, you know, a better option for the, the Europa League or you know, holding he's, you know, kind of fallen out of favor. It's yeah, I, it is We're almost stuck with you know, him. we all yeah, we yeah, it almost would be, you know, better to get that third guy out there just so everybody has a little bit more cover but then you know what does that do to arsenal's attack it's yeah there's there's a lot of questions with this way the squad has been built and uh, there's there's some stuff that's need going to need to change in the summer yeah i mean you look at kolasinac who turned in a perfectly mediocre reasonably mediocre game i mean he wasn't he wasn't bad he just didn't really impress i mean i forgot he had started and you know he was bought presumably what to be a left wing or a left wing back is he bought to be a left fullback i mean it he certainly doesn't look like taking over nacho monreal's spot anytime soon and monreal's not a spring chicken himself koscielny i don't know if he even has another season in him of being really reliable because it seems more like a cliff than a hill at this point for him uh mustafi is so erratic neither chambers nor holding although i agree with tim that chambers has improved a lot and it's encouraging but neither of them seems to be ready to be a starting center back for an arsenal arsenal caliber club whatever that means anymore uh at center back so I mean, do you see a situation, Scott, where we we are facing a potentially challenging and comprehensive rebuild of the central defense and or the de- the defense as a whole this summer, or if not just this summer, over the next couple summers? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's you, every um, every transfer window is seems for the last couple of years. You know, we've been linked with a, a center back or two, and so I think that's something that's definitely in the long term plans. And I, you know, you look at what's available, and it's definitely something that is needed. Um, it's almost one of those things. It's like, why, why did they sell Gabriel in the in the summer? And because I think that's that a head he might not. Yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, he had he had moments like that too, where he would kind of do things that were kind of baffling, but 
I think he was a little less inconsistent than what Mustafi's been. So I, I don't know. I, I think there is definitely going to be some some long term planning that needs to go this summer. Get a get a center back who's in that you know that twenty five twenty six age range, so that we can have someone to long term replacement for Koscielny, who yeah is definitely getting concerning with his ability to, to keep it going at this elite level. So, yeah, I mean the combination of, of both just what seems to be a natural decline in his game and the fitness issues mean that as much as we love Kishelny going into next season, expecting him to be the regular anchor of the central defense is a risky proposition. I don't think Mustafi is consistent enough for that. Um, you know, maybe we will go back in for Johnny Evans. I, you know, I have no idea what will happen, but it looks like there's some kind of rebuild that has to be done there. And I, I just want to say, you know, one thing, you guys, that happens a lot right now is that whenever a player plays poorly, but we don't want to write him off, they get the, well, how can you judge anyone under Arsene Wenger right now? You know, they get that caveat, especially defensively. Well, you know, no one looks good in Arsene Wenger's defense except Koscielny, so how can you judge anyone? But, like, I think you still can judge people. <laughs> you know, I think when a player doesn't attack the ball, when a player dives in a lot, when a player doesn't you know, read the game right. I think you have to start to make some kind of judgment about them. And to me, I think Mustafi is at the level right now where believing in him to be an anchor of our central defense for the next several seasons is just too much confidence in him that you could have. Um, I think we can get off that for a moment. I, I, I want to address the attacking play, which, you know, once again, produced three goals. But really, really quickly, Tim, before we, we get into the goals and, and our improved attack, do you have anything to say about Nelson's game other than didn't do anything terribly wrong, didn't do anything terribly right. Game kind of passed him by, but good for him for getting a start. Yeah, a little bit. He, he had a few nice touches, which which suggests that um, he has some confidence about himself. He had a lovely, like, I think for that Xhaka shot, um, that came from him doing like a bit of a, a Cruyff turn on the edge of the area. And he, he had a bit of a chapeau um, at one moment as well. So he doesn't lack for confidence. I think we can see kind of in the long term. Um, but yeah, he he didn't really manage to stretch his legs and and get to anyone. But you know, I, I think you see a lot of debuts like this from teenagers that they just try and concentrate on getting the basics right, which I think he did. He also was on the receiving end of a pretty terrible tackle in um, in the yeah. first minute. Yeah, yeah, that's and, a great um, point. I think that affected it too. Uh, yeah, maybe it did. Maybe it did. I I, I don't think he didn't lose his head um, about it though. Um, Unlike another Arsenal Academy product who's significantly older and more experienced. He will get a mensch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, all right. Look, let's talk about a bombing just for a minute. I mean, so much of our season now is down to the Europa League that we, we tend to sort of write these games off. And these are very weird games. It's very hard to know what to make of them. I, I think it's hard for the players, too to really know, you know, you're being rotated, it's the Premier League, so it matters, but everybody kind of knows it's not the thrust of it. And through it all, Aubameyang is off to an absolutely uh, fantastic goal-scoring start to his Arsenal career. I tweeted just before he scored, and this is obviously why he scored, uh, Aubameyang might set a record today for the fewest touches in, in a Premier League game. Do we just have to adjust our expectations of a center forward for the type of player that he is and realize that he does not need to be involved to be able to change the game in a flash. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and what was really interesting about this was that you know they put Welbeck right next to him, basically, kind of coming in from the left, but but next to him, and that that, that suggests to me that, that Wenger's thinking in the, in this way of kind of having kind of a front two, but with one of them slightly wide, and it kind of sounds like he's thinking that when Lacazette's back in, it will be Lacazette in the centre, but. You know, Bamiyang playing that wide forward, but more 
forward um, kind of role. Um, and 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 I thought Welbeck was. I, I know spoken about it a little bit already, but but one of the really good things about Welbeck is Welbeck's a great foil for a guy who is a killer um, in the box. He's he's a, he's been a really good foil for Lacazette earlier in the season. He's been a really good foil for Alexis before. He's you know really. He's, was a really good foil for Aubameyang. When he's, you know, like that Ostersons game, when he's the main man and he's got all these creators behind him, I think he struggles. But when, you know, he's got... Basically, when he's kind of playing that, um, you know, it, it's what Clive would call kind of chiefs and Indians, you know. Mm-hmm. Welbeck, Welbeck's kind of a, a very good kind of servant, for want of a better word. Um, he's, he's really and 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 I think Abamyang really really kind of um, really benefited from that and and I think you're right and I think what's really interesting um, and I'm doing my usual this is a precursor to something I'm going to write this week. Oh, is fancy that? that. <laughs> <laughs> is that Arsenal sold um, their three top scorers from last season um, and yet we're still scoring very prolifically and you know we spoke a little bit on the last pod about how Erzin and Ramsey have picked up some of that slack. But largely, it's because Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan have come in and started producing straight away. You know, the fact that like no one really talks about Alexis, like even even to the point that there are no derogatory songs about him at games or anything like that. Um, Giroud is a player I don't think we miss at all because it was just becoming important to move away from that type of player. And we're seeing at Chelsea at the moment. Actually, he's not getting that much more football at Chelsea. He's coming on eight, ten minutes to go when they desperately need a goal and they just want to lump it up. Um, I don't think Chelsea really figured out how to use him yet. I, you know, I, I, I feel like Giroud didn't need replacing stylistically. It was a body that we needed to replace more than anything. Um, and Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan have completely picked up Alexis's slack in terms of what he offers creatively and as a goal scorer. And, and actually, the, the player that I think we've had the hardest time replacing even though he's not been in the team for a while before we sold him as Walcott. Um, it's difficult to get wide forwards that score as many goals as he does. And uh, kind of what Welbeck did yesterday was was a passable Walcott impression. But may- maybe, whether we agree or not, that's what he's got in mind for Aubameyang. Maybe he, maybe he does think, look, if I play him as a wide forward, not as a winger, like a proper wide forward, then... Maybe that's that's my way of getting more goals into the team from from players like that who, you know, haven't been contributing as much as they should have this season. You know, I th- I think Aubameyang's our third top scorer already. It's pretty remarkable, um, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I I don't think it's inconceivable at all that he could finish this season as our top scorer. He's, I think he's on six and Lacazette's on twelve overall. I mean, if we carry on in the Europa League and the likes of Lacazette don't play. Obviously, he will probably pass Sanchez. So, you know, he's he's almost certainly going to be our second top scorer and he's got a shot at being our top scorer. And that, that shows you already um, what he's providing us. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things is at the moment, obviously, we're scoring lots of goals in home games. But actually, that hasn't been a problem all season. You know, before this, we scored five against Huddersfield in November. We scored five against Everton. We got four against Palace. We got seven against Bartow Borisov. We eat, we scored four against Leicester. We even managed three against Liverpool in an absolutely torrid performance. So scoring goals in home games has is, is not exactly been a huge issue 
where we'll start to see how much this attack has improved is is away from home and Newcastle will be a really good litmus test because they're playing very well they defend very well particularly at home um, but you know Aubameyang he, he scored in the last away game we played um, or the last away game he played rather which was an age ago at Brighton so hopefully if he can help us basically he's helped us maintain um, what we've been doing at home if he can translate that into away games which the rest of our team has struggled to do then you know he's already added so much value and you would think that away games would actually suit him right because yeah running in behind playing off the ball a little bit you should be able to do that more away from home yeah than at home um but i mean just very very quickly on that tim i mean are you enjoying him i mean just just yeah having obama yang at arsenal has it been fun for you yeah absolutely absolutely when you know, he, he's got so much class on the ball. Um, he's just one of those players you feel comfortable when he has it. You think, yeah, he's not going to shank that out of play. He's going to find his man. He's going to keep control of the ball. And when he goes through on goal, you think, you, you know, you, you fancy him to score. And um, it's, it's, it's the striker that, that we've been looking for since Van Persie left. Um, yeah. I think I'd, I'd like it if he was perhaps two years younger. <laughs> yeah, um, me too. But... But yeah, I you know I I think he's the real deal. I think it's really easy to forget that Real Madrid wanted this guy, um, and we're, we're seriously interested. Um, and I think that tells you a lot. Sure, and I mean, look, it, it is the only worry I have with him is that goal he scores. He gets there because he's so lightning quick, and his quickness is not just pace in the sprints, but over short spaces. And mm. if if you want to bother being worried about stuff and and being do me, which, you know, obviously we do, um, it would be that when he loses half a step, he may just become a striker who is not only a low-involvement striker but can't get to those half chances, and then suddenly what do you have, right? You have a guy who's not really involved in the buildup and can't get on the end of those moves, and then you have nothing. You have a boat anchor. But I, I don't think we're close to that, and I'm I'm really enjoying having him there. Scott, I, I would love to talk about Welbeck, but do you want to put a, a final exclamation point on uh, Aubameyang, the goal he scored, and the experience of having him at Arsenal. I mean, as as a as a s- analytics guy, this is one of the analytics darlings in European football over the past four or five seasons, right? So this this has to be a lot of fun for you. Yeah, no, and this is you know what you expect. You know, I, I've always talked about that he's basically Walcott in that he doesn't get involved very much um, with touches, but what he does is he gets shots in shooting locations that he's able to convert. I mean, you look at what he's done for Arsenal. He's played 600-something minutes and six goals, so a goal every 100 minutes is a a great return. Um, His XG's been um, exceptional since he's been with the team. So, he's yeah, he's been everything that I've been expecting um, from him. Um, Yeah, and that little burst of speed to get, you know, basically beat two defenders and the goalkeeper to the ball and then just, you know, hit it with the bottom of his foot to get it past everybody, it was just absolutely great. You know, after, you know, you see that flick from Welbeck, which was, you know, a great little flick. It's like, oh, is he going to get there? Is he going to get there? And it's just how quick he got there was amazing and something that, yeah, that you, you, you wouldn't have expected anyone else on Arsenal to be able to do that. And you know, almost no one else in the world could be able to do what he just did there. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's, you know, long may it continue. So as far as Danny Welbeck goes, he had a Welbeckian game in some ways, and I don't mean that negatively. I mean, he was involved in the ways he usually gets involved. He did have a horror miss, although I think the ball fell to him in a, in a bit of a weird way if you know, I wanted to give him a little bit of a defense. But the, 
the goal that actually I thought was interesting was the deflected goal that he scored, the first of the two, because the way he pulled the ball down, his first touch, his cut inside, the clean contact he made, that was a really confident technical move that results in a goal and not something we traditionally associate with a guy who trips himself trying to shoot. So was that really a bright spot for you with Welbeck, seeing him do that and thinking maybe his form and his confidence might be on the, the upslope here? Yeah, so th- that was actually quite positive because, you know, the the through ball from Awobi kind of um, angled him so where he was doing that, you know, inside to out kind of run. But then he was able to take his touch to be able to cut it back inside and turn his defender inside out. When so often when he was playing striker before, he would get that ball. And instead of looking to cut inside, he would keep going to the outside, you know, and then look to maybe do some sort of a cross or, you know, the the, the play would just break down. So just having the ability, the confidence to be able to take on his man and cut inside to actually get into a shooting location was absolutely something that I loved to see because that was so frustrating earlier in the season where he would do these really nice runs. He would get the ball in a good location, but then he would do his best to almost not get himself into a shooting location yeah. where he was almost afraid to take those things on. Well, his technical, so he, his actually, technical quality would let him down. I mean, that's really what it is. Couldn't sort his feet out, couldn't make the contact. Exactly. So, yeah, this time I think he, he really did well. And I was, yeah, really impressed with his, his be able to cut that ball in because, you know, you know, he got up the ball in a good location there in the wide box, but then to actually cut it across to get into the central area to be able to take that shot. Yeah, it was, you know, it got a nice deflection, but he still was able to get the, the solid power behind it and, you know, cl- uh, struck it cleanly, which was yeah good to see. Yeah, see, I think Welbeck is, is a really valuable player for us to have in some ways. And I don't know if you guys will agree with this, but considering how much work we need to do, we need a goalkeeper this summer. We need a center back this summer at minimum one. We need probably a backup right back. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but we probably have to go out and get that. We need another central midfielder. And so when you look at it and you say, we have Aubameyang, we have Lacazette, we have Mkhitaryan, we have Ozil, you know, there, there is attacking talent up there. So are we going to rely on Eddie Nketiah to be the next option next season? Are we really going to get rid of Danny Welbeck for whatever he's going to bring, 12 or 15 million pounds? I don't know that he's, he's going to be a, a big prize on the transfer market and then not buy a replacement and just trust Nelson and Nketiah. I think Welbeck is better than that. I think Welbeck is at a good age to be a guy who can play one of the inside forward positions, support a striker, play striker. I'm not saying he's, quote, world class, but I think he has the ability to do those things and really add the kinds of things that drive defenses nuts. Physical power, aerial power, lots of pace. And so, you know, for me, and Scott, I'll ask you the question. I mean, do you think it makes sense, given the work we have to do behind the attacking part of our team and the other departments, midfield and defense, to stick with Welbeck, to keep him around, and let him be that sort of Swiss Army knife, first off the bench or rotational option for players like Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang, and Lacazette. I mean, he's a guy that I would have loved to have kept around, but I think to be able to fund all of the additions that are going to need to happen, um, more importantly, I think it's not just the the transfer fee that he'll bring back, which I don't think is going to be huge, but I think it's just going to be offloading his wages because, I mean, I don't know exactly what the wages are because finding wages for football players is hard. Um, but he's got to be, you know, what, between 70 and 90,000 um, pounds a week. Um, so that's, those are not, you know, a small thing to be able to be able to have to go to someone else who's coming in because you look at what Arsenal need to get. So they need a defender. They need a midfielder. They need a wide forward. But then who who's the first alternate guy who can be a goal scorer, who can lead a line? If you, I mean, it's 
Nelson or Enkedia at that point? I mean, are you prepared for a season I mean, next season of that being the second tier option from going from Lacazette, Aubameyang, Ozil, Mkhitaryan, and now one of those guys is out and it's Nelson or Enkedia? I mean, you know, you might look at, you know, it might be a Wobi. Um, you know, there might be someone else. Yeah, I think there's going to be enough attacking because I'm not sure if um, Lacazette and Aubameyang are going to always start together. So one of those guys might be there to put in. But that, I think that's where the, the point where with the, the wage restrictions that there are in the Premier League, um, unless Arsenal can really do some commercial magic next year where they can increase the, the amount of revenues they're coming in, that there's going to have to be you know, sacrifices made in the squad somewhere where we're not going to be able to, to keep everyone. And I think that's always been one of the issues with Arsenal is that we have some of these fringe guys that are, they're definitely good enough to, you know, keep as a squad player, but you almost have to go with a, almost a stars and scrubs thing um, with Arsenal's, um, you know, restrictions that are in the Premier League now where we can't have, you know, these guys on high wages that aren't going to be everyday starters. That's true. You know, that, so, I mean, it's yes, he's an ideal player to have. And I'm not saying that I don't want him. I'm just saying the the reality is that he may not. He might be a guy that is expendable just to make improvements elsewhere. Sure. And I mean, I, I guess my argument would simply be. If you sell him and then feel you need to buy one more player up front because you feel short of senior players up front, you're probably going to wind up spending more on the replacement and on the wages of the replacement than what you secure from Welbeck's sale. So I, I think yeah, that's I mean, where I, you get into it. Yeah. And I think the other thing is you have to look. So he's 27. He's got one more year left on his contract. So this is either extend or sell time. And do you really want to you know, ex- you know, have him going into his 30s, you know, his late 20s? Or you could look at maybe getting a guy who's, you know, 22, 23, who might be okay with being that, you know, 12th, 13th yeah, guy, you yeah, know, that's come fair. in. I, so. You know what? I mean, my answer to that depends. If you say we can get 12 million pounds for Danny Welbeck, I don't know that 12 million pounds allows us to do a whole hell of a lot we couldn't do otherwise. And at that point, I think the player is more valuable than the money. If you say we could get 20 million for Danny Welbeck... You know, I don't know that we could, but then, yeah, then I'm selling 100%. So, uh, you know, enough of that. Uh, I'll just have uh, Gazidis and Raul on the, sh- on the show next time, and they, they can answer these questions for us. <laughs> all right, Tim, let's get to the fun section. I mean, the Mustafi mm. section was fun. All of this is fun. This has all been tremendously fun, but let's get to the really fun part, and that's Jack Wilshire. So, <laughs> mm. we beat Stoke 3-0, and Jack Wilshire was terrible. Was it 3-0? Mm. That yes. doesn't sound yes. right, but that's what it was, yeah. Amazing. Uh we won 4-1 against CSK Moscow, and Jack Wilshere was terrible. He comes mm. on in this game, and he's terrible. And then <laughs> he gives the ball away in a counterattack and just loses his mind. And, and I know there are going to be people that say, what do you want him to do there? They have a counterattack on, and he cynically ends it. That's what you want him to do. You can cynically end a counterattack without just completely losing your mind and tearing the shirt off a player. And we see cynical professional fouls all the time you know those tactical i should say tactical fouls all the time that don't result in the player's shirt getting ripped off and then handbags Mm. so yeah i think this is a player who probably feels the stress and the pressure of the way he's playing and it came out in that moment is Mm. he starting to reach the point of no redemption here yeah it looks like it's going that way and and again these things change really really quickly um because you know three or four weeks ago we were talking about you know how he's you know looks like he could be a decent squad player etc etc you know things change quickly but yeah it does and and it's really disappointing so on one hand um i'm perfectly fine with the tactical foul like like you say I i don't think there's really any need to rip the guy's shirt off on the other hand you could say well yeah that but that'll ultimately 
and I don't think this was by design by any means, but ultimately it gets the guy sent off as well. So it's like a double bonus. He stops the attack and he winds the other guy up and, and gets him a red card, which you could say is um, a, a, a pleasing application of the dark arts. But that, I mean, that that's not what it was designed to do because he then proceeded to kind of lose it afterwards. He was fairly fortunate. I think that Petr Cech, uh, wearing captain's armband, obviously felt responsibility and he came rushing out to kind of stop him. Um, and Wilshire was, you know, still taking exception to Petr Cech as well. And I think Cech was just saying, look, thanks. You've, do- you've done, you know, you've done your job here. Move on. There is, there is absolutely no need to continue to be involved. And ultimately, you just kind of think he should have grown out of this a bit by now. Like, um, I'm, I'm all for a, a bit of cynicism, but, you know, and, and it's the not just The frustration is like, evident. To, I mean, you know, this yeah, was not just a foul. Goal. It's frustration. Yeah, and, and on the second goal as well, he just comes charging out into an awful position. Stands there and gets um, bypassed, yep. And gets bypassed because he's not thinking, he's, his body shape's not right. He, he makes it very, very easy to go around him, and, and you can tell that's... And, and that's that's just still Jack, you know, and he's, he's 26, and he's still, like, you know, still finds it difficult to control himself when things aren't going his way, and he he really should have mastered that by now. And it's it's one of um, it's always been one of my frustrations with Jack. You know, with some players, like they need a bit of edge to their game. I I, I don't think Jack does. I don't think Jack has ever needed that quote unquote edge. In fact, it's slightly annoyed me at times because I just think to myself. Or certainly, you know, when he was younger, I used to think to myself, this is a technically brilliant footballer. This is a guy who's touch, control, you know, he, he could be a Spaniard. He could play in the Spanish midfield. and But he's wound up in this kind of Scott Parker fantasy where he thinks he has to go around kicking people. And I remember some quote that came out from him about tackling and, you know, him seeing tackling as a big part of his job and, you know, it, it's almost like he's he's got. He, I, I I always used to say, you know, he's got the feet of like this wonderful, cultured, almost continental style footballer. But his his thinking is still kind of overwrought in that tabloid English up and atom bulldog um, style stuff. And and maybe Scott Park is a harsh comparison. I, I think he he probably looks more at players like Steven Gerrard. That kind of no, I must drive on. But, by force and um i actually thought when he came back into the team this season he, he kind of stopped doing that he i thought you know he looks like he's readjusting to what his body can do he's you know i've, I've said it on many pods i think to to kind of rescue his career he's got to reinvent himself as a bit of a deep line playmaker which is a role he played very well for england a couple of years ago and I, I think that's where he should see his future um but yeah it's 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 quite discouraging um, to see him like this, not not just playing badly, um, but to see the frustration taking over him and the fact that that hasn't quite matured. And, and maybe, you know, as it was with Wayne Rooney, it probably never will. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Rooney, I kind of saw, you know, when you're a striker, I can kind of see the, the the value in having that kind of edge. And if you're a certain type of midfielder, but I don't think that that's the type of midfielder Wilshire is or should be, but it seems to be the type of midfielder he wants to be. And, um, you know, he's, he, he's got other gifts and um, 
unfortunately his body wouldn't let him be that kind of midfielder anymore anyway so yeah I, I think it, it was another fairly rotten uh, performance another what 70 percent um, 70% the ball, passing which, worst of any outfield player which, and that's consecutive which games is unreal unreal for him um, it's, you it's know, exactly what you think you get like, from him right yeah 90% passing security on the ball yeah, he gave the ball away more yeah. than any other player in just his 20 minutes on the pitch uh, pardon me 27 minutes on the pitch and he had the lowest pass accuracy of any outfield player for yeah. the second consecutive game yeah exactly and and those are supposed to be his strengths so it, it's very worrying that they're deserting him and old weaknesses are coming back in yeah, and, and I, I consider myself a keen observer of the human condition. And I don't know if you saw on social media, he posts like, another great win, congrats, Danny Welbeck, although I should have had an assist if you finished that one or so, you know, something like that. And, and I think there's a little something under the surface there. I, I think Jack wants everyone to remember, hey, I could have had an assist in this game. I set Welbeck yeah, yeah, up yeah. with a tap-in. Like, I know I was all over the place, and I was a mess, and I got involved in a fracas that led Del Nenny getting sent off and all this, but I should have had an assist. You, you know, I mean, maybe that's overly cynical on my part, but to go and tweet out, oh, to the guy who scored two goals and had an assist, I could have had an assist if you put that one away, buddy. Like, ha, ha, yeah. ha. You know, and he doesn't at Danny Welbeck. He includes Danny in the body of the tweet. You know what I mean? So it goes out to everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. I think he's aware that it's slipping away for him a little bit. And that's sort of a, hey, yeah. I should have had an assist. You know, that should have been in my column. So, yeah, I, I do worry for him. I mean, I don't worry for him. He makes a phenomenal amount of money, and I'm sure he's a very happy man. But <laughs> I, I worry for him with respect to where this is all going. And, you know, I, I think the problem is Arsene Banger is very, very, very close to this player. And I think it's hard for him to disappoint someone like Jack, that, that he cares about Jack tremendously and understandably. I mean, they, they've been together a long time. He's known him since he's a little kid. But Scott... Can Jack Wilshire continue to start in the Europa League as important as that competition is for us in the way he's playing? It's it's so tough to imagine, you know, especially with what we just saw from Awobi and Welbeck, that both of them really excelled. And, you know, Tim kind of touched on it. It's earlier in the season he was seeming to change his game. But over and over again, it seems like he's falling back into his old bad habits where, you know, he's holding on to the ball too long. He's not making the right pass. He's just slowing the entire game down. And then, you know, just getting frustrated where it's just, I think you look at it, um, you know, in three of his last four games, he's passed below 80%. So, yeah, against Milan, or against Ostersons, against Milan um, in the first leg um, away, and then um, against Moscow, and then in this game, you know, both of those, he's, you know, his best one was against Ostersons where it's 79% passing. And it's just like, you cannot have that from one of your midfielders uh, amid a possession-based team. You know, if you're a counter-attacking team and you're looking to, you know, spring balls over the top, sure, you can have some, you know, misplaced pass and it's not going to kill a team. Well, or but if you're know, playing 10 through balls and, you know, you've created four assists and seven key passes and that's why your pass percentage is low because you're trying the hard stuff. He's, he's not getting the easy stuff right either. Yeah, and it's it's just it is frustrating because I I thought that there was glimmers of of hope earlier in the season where he looked like he was actually kind of doing stuff that was positive, but now it's falling back and yeah, it's not good. And I I can't imagine that you really start him, and it's really kind of in a tough position. It's like, does Arsenal really extend his contract or offer him a new one? Yeah, I mean I don't even know where he would land. It's yeah, it's tough, and you know. Jack Wilshire's got a lot of, st- you know, gets a lot of stick and he has a lot of defenders, but it's just so frustrating to see somebody with his talent not be able to do the things to make Arsenal better. And, and put it this way, none of City, United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs would take Jack Wilshire. 
Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, okay. Barcelona, Atletico Madrid, Dortmund. They're not taking Jack Wilshere. So the fact that, like, if we don't sign him, he's going to wind up at a West Ham or something along those lines should tell you what you need to know about this player, that by and large, this is a player who just can't regularly do it at the top level. And I think the, the worrying thing for Jack and the thing where I, I do worry for him because I still have a lot of affection for him being an Arsenal Academy guy and a guy that I was my favorite Arsenal player for a brief glimmer of a uh, period of time is that he is not suited to a team that doesn't have the ball a lot, that he needs to play for a team that's in possession a lot, um, that when he's good, he's good on the ball, but he's never going to be great defensively. He's never going to be great off the ball. And if he winds up down the table, he's going to be playing for teams that firefight a lot and need all hands to the pump and be organized and be disciplined and be you know, in a good shape. And we saw what happened with him at Bournemouth. He lost his place. So, yeah, go ahead. So what I was going to say is, I mean, I think that, you know, you need to, Arsenal need to, when they're building their squad, is they need to figure out who who are we going to build the squad around? And it seems that they've chosen, um, Ozil is the main guy that they're going to do. So getting a bombing really maximizes that with his ability to stretch defenses and Ozil be able to pick out those passes. Lacazette, I think, fits in nicely with his technical ability. Same with Mkhitaryan, um, you know, his directness, um, his ability to come in from the wing and give a, a secondary creator taking some of that pressure off of Ozil. But it's where where does Jack Wilshire fit in that, you know, I, I don't, they kind of take up the same spots or they want to be in the same spots, but Wilshire is definitely not at the, the Ozil level. Um, you know, Ramsey, I think is a better option, a central midfielder being able to do his runs from deep. Um, I think Jack, and then granted Jack is a better deep line playmaker than what Jack Wilshire would be. So it's, to me, it's like, where does he fit in to be able to maximize the rest of the squad? And I'm just not sure there is a spot where he is going to maximize the rest of the talent. You know, it's one thing if, you know, you wanted to build around him to be able to maximize his talent, but I don't think he has the the ceiling or the, you know, his injury history doesn't really justify him being the, the main focal point of a team. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. And the thing that scares me a little bit is, if Ramsey goes, and if Ramsey gets sold this summer, and God forbid, I know there's some people that think actually there are ways that could work to our favor, but I worry that Ramsey going will mean we feel compelled to keep Jack and that Jack will be in line to be an even more prominent player for us, and that doesn't lead us anywhere we want to go. Uh, I want to ask about the Europa League just before we sign off here, but Scott, before I leave you, um, do you care if we finish above Chelsea? I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is it's my everything and 1 is I wouldn't even know it happened how important is it to you? Maybe like a four. I mean, what's the difference between fifth and sixth? I mean, I guess there's a little bit more money that comes with finishing in fifth place, but really everything is in the Europa League. Um, it would be nice to finish above Chelsea, but you know, I don't think you jeopardize the Europa League to, to go after that. Yeah, I mean, certainly Arsene Wenger can put it in his uh, multimedia portfolio presentation for why he should be kept around. Hey, look, I finished above our London rivals or one of our London Ooh. rivals. Um, Who, whose manager is going to be leaving or maybe has left or yeah, who knows what's going on. He may on be gone that. as we're recording this, yeah. Um, Tim, <laughs> I want to talk Europa League, but let me get your thought on that. One to ten, how much do you care if we finish above Chelsea? Uh, three, I think, if it's between fifth and sixth. Um, if it was Spurs, my interest would probably be a bit higher, but honestly, fifth and sixth, who cares? Let's If we finish sixth and they finish fifth and we win the Europa League, then that's perfectly fine with me. 
Yeah, I almost feel like winning the Europa League is is my everything right now, and I'd actually be yep. annoyed if we finished fifth and won the Europa League because I think it would put a gloss on this season it doesn't deserve. I think the nice thing about finishing sixth and winning the Europa League is it really does sum up the season, right? We can be thrilled yep. that we won a major trophy, thrilled that we're back in the Champions League, but it doesn't allow us to ignore or deny or uh, yep. re- be revisionist about how this league campaign went. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it forces a, a, a bit of truthfulness on us in terms of reviewing the season. So, yeah. all right, as far as the Europa League, I mean, the, the tie is in really, really good shape, but I think we saw with Ostersoons and we saw with Milan that it can get uncomfortable quickly. So how would you like to see him line up for this game, uh, and what are your expectations for it? Um, that's a really interesting question. I, I, I think there's a good p- case for playing Elneny and Jacker, um, as you suggested at the beginning of the pod. But at the same time, I, I don't want us to get drawn into trying to protect the result because I, I don't think we'll be very good at that. Um, so yeah, I, so I guess you know back four and goalkeeper pick pretty much pick themselves. Shaka, Ramsey pick themselves. Özil. Um, and Lacazette pick themselves. So after that, I suppose it's you know two what two from El Neni Iwobi and Welbeck. Um, I think I would be inclined to play Iwobi and Welbeck. And Wilshire. I mean, you can't just assume he won't be in the reckoning. No, no. I I kind of rather he wasn't. But um, <laughs> you're right. I, I I think he could well be. I mean, personally, I, I'd play Iwobi and Welbeck um, together. And and I think like you say they're kind of bringing um taking a bamiang off for the last 20 minutes i think that was with a little look towards towards thursday getting that kind of well back lacazette partnership happening again which which and also i think you know if we're broadly going to set up to counter attack then it will be well back and lacazette kind of with Ozil. That, that i think that puts us in pretty good shape to do that and Iwobi and Welbeck, I think, are just about kind of um, certainly in Welbeck's case, are, are defensively dis- or, or sorry, they're disciplined enough off the ball um, as well. And and you know, Moscow gave us a lot of space um, at the Emirates, and having some kind of powerful runners, um, you know, and and some guys that can press high up the pitch, uh, I, I think that could be quite handy. So I, you know, I, I wouldn't. I, I I take your point. I think it's very tempting to put Elneny in there. I think I'd maybe look to do that a bit later in the game, maybe, um, depending on what the shape of the game is. If it's still nil-nil, for example, then you know, then maybe on 60 minutes you you hook one of those attackers and put Elneny in, or if you're well in control of the tie. But um, yeah, I I think I'd just set up nicely for the counter, and I think it will be Welbeck and Lacazette is a really good front three for that. I, th- I think they played together in the Community Shield against Chelsea um, in August, and they all did a, a very good job, I think, on the on the counter. Yeah, I, look, you made a comment about you don't want to see us just sort of protecting the lead we have, which I totally mm. get. Having said that, I, <laughs> I think setting up how we did at the Emirates, I mean, we were really, really open in that game. So if we play as open in Russia as we did at the Emirates, there's a chance that it could get really nervy really quick. So I I don't know that a little more control and solidity is necessarily playing to protect our lead, if you know what Mm -hmm. I mean. Um, yeah, yeah. I would say it's just it's sensible. Balance. Yeah, given how open we were, and you know, I, I think Ramsey ha- had so much joy in that game, but it did leave us more open. So, 
I think my 1A might be El Nenny and Shaka in central midfield. Um, although I know, look, El Nenny has this reputation for being sort of like a more defensively minded midfielder. He is not. He, he doesn't tackle, no. he doesn't intercept, he doesn't dispossess. But he can play 120 passes at 95% pass accuracy, which is yep. a form of defense, right? I mean, controlling yep. the ball is a defensive action. So what I would say I is... I tell you. What was that? As Pep would tell you. As Pep would tell you. Yeah, exactly. Genius Pep. Great, great, great job there, Baldy. Um, but yeah, so I would say, I would say that my 1A might be Shaq and El Nenny in midfield and then push Ramsey up. And then because you have Ramsey's extra added attacking influence in that, in that front three, you could go with a Wobi for a little more technical control and passing and, and he can drop into midfield if he needs to. And so you'd have El Nenny and Shaka, Ramsey, Ozil, Awobi, and Lacazette up front. Or, 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 uh, he, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you, you definitely could do that, or you could flip it another way. And if you're playing Welbeck and Lacazette, you know, a bit like Welbeck and Aubameyang, basically yeah. a front two, and you split the team up and you say, right, Xhaka and Elneny and the back four, you're the defensive part of the team. Um, we don't need you to go anywhere because we've basically got two strikers. We've got Ramsey, we've got Ozil. You know that's that's plenty to be getting on with, and you almost split the team up into into two different parts. And we say, and you say, you six just take care of this part of the pitch. Don't really go beyond the centre circle. And you know, Welbeck and Lacazette, you play like a front two. You run everywhere. Um, and you know, with Özil and Ramsey, we'll we'll kind of get the ball to you and create enough havoc there. Yeah, and God knows we have enough practice at having our attack get cut off from our midfield and defense, so it should be a natural way for us to do it. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that as well. I and I, I don't know that I'd be fussed if it was Welbeck over Iwobi. And and to to your point, by the way, say my one A was that my one B would be set up how we did in the first game, except go with Welbeck and Iwobi instead of Wilshire and McTarran, obviously. So uh, Scott, your your preferred uh, preferred lineup there before we say goodbye. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'd, you're going to see a Wobi and Welbeck. I, I mean, I almost wouldn't be surprised if, you know, some crazy like Holocenac coming in and he's going to play your, you know, your left wing. Um, just, you know, do the old all the fullbacks come in and, you know, really kind of go for it. I would, I would be concerned about that because that would be almost giving or, you know, conceding that we're just going to defend. But I, I actually kind of, that kind of wouldn't surprise me to see something crazy like that just for the one-off. Yeah, I... I don't know that Arson will be worried enough with a three-goal lead and with as open as they were and the fact that now they have the onus on them to attack to be that conservative, although I totally take your point that he could do that. Um, we have seen him do it before. So let's hope he doesn't. Can we agree on that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's good enough. Do you guys want to do a score prediction, Scott? Um, I think it might be like a 2-1 or something like that for Arsenal to win. 2-1 Arsenal win. Tim? Yeah, I, I think I'd go for that, yeah. 2-1? Two, 2-1, one. Two, one. yeah. I'll say another 4-1 Arsenal victory. 8-2 on aggregate, baby. <laughs> and, and then we get absolutely m- murdered by Atletico Madrid in the semifinal. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So, yeah, that comes up Thursday. We'll try to have a podcast out for you, most likely Saturday, because it really is very, very difficult for us to record Thursday after the game. We'll leave that to the professionals like Arsblog, and we'll, uh, we'll wait and record it on Friday. So I uh, hope Clive's having a great vacation. hope Paul is getting plenty of work done. God knows none of us are doing any of those things. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure, as always. Scott's on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crap. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. And uh, give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Clive and Paul. And uh, we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Seska, no.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.